Welcome to the Wanda Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I have Liz Warner. She is about to turn 30 years old in about a month, and she wanted to run 30 marathons and help out 20 different nonprofits in their goals and do it all, all over the planet. So she looked at a map and said, where do I want to go? And where would it be fun to run a marathon? She went to places like Somalia, to places like Yemen, places quite off the beaten track. I talked to her about that mission and talked about her last two or three marathons that she has to go. So enjoy this episode and her final marathon will be to Mount Everest. This show was sponsored by all my patrons at patreon.com slash ftapon. And I want to give a special shout out to one of my patrons, Kathy Edgar Kennedy and Health Access Sumbawa which she supports. Now, enjoy the show. First of all, you're going to be 30 years old in June of 2020. Correct. And your goal is to run 30 marathons before you turn 30. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. But first, I want to know of the 26 marathons that you've already run so far. Yes. Which one really sucked balls? I did a marathon in November in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire. And this race was just controversial in general because, you know, I had been in the country for a week and a half before the race. And two days before the actual marathon, I, I went to go pick up my bib. And they told me that they were not allowing women to participate in that year's marathon. Or, yeah, two days wow. later. So, um Why? Yeah, it was a crazy situation. And there was a few other women who were also signed up with me. I mean, it wasn't a massive marathon, but still. And uh, we sort of, you know, laid down some law and fought with the organizers for a few days. Finally, they let us run the marathon. But this marathon is why it was like maybe 95 degrees. It was really hot. And unbeknownst to us, there was a four hour cutoff point. So, you know, which is fine. You know, normally I try to aim to run around the four hour, four hour mark, but with 90 degree weather, it just was really tough. So maybe for the last like two hours of the race or hour and a half, they had closed the course and there was just traffic coming in all directions. And I was determined to finish. So it was just dodging cars, like the last half of the marathon, which was not very fun, but it was definitely an experience. Did they have a lot of resupply stations? In other words, water along the way, or was it very sparse yes for the first half yes but then when they cleared the course no (laughs) so so yeah so luckily there were a lot of restaurants along the way so I was with a small group I was running with um, a few other people so we just like stopped and bought bottles of water but it was I was not the the best um the most organized race I should say well vous parlez français donc c'était facile de de parler avec les, les, les Ivoiriens, for those who didn't yes. understand that. Yeah, but, <laughs> no, that made it, that you, made it you so speak much French. easier. Right. So, because you, you've lived in Paris? Yes. For how long? For the past three years now. Okay. Yeah. So, you're, 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 and you did, you went to a bilingual school in Atlanta. Yes, correct. Correct. There are a lot of Why international. Why did you go to a bilingual school? Yeah, there are a lot of international companies based here in Atlanta, I think for tax reasons. And so in the mid 90s, there's someone who just, I think there are 
bunch of parents who sort of lobbied to have an international school here in Atlanta. And I mean, I think when I started there, there were only maybe like a few hundred kids. And now it's just exploded because I think it's, I mean, most families want their kids to learn a lot of languages now. But back then, like 15, 20 years ago, it was not the case. So, so yeah. Um, but it's, Where are your parents from originally? Both my parents are from New York. Um, but my dad, he actually went to medical school in France. So he always had an affinity towards French culture. And it was his life goal to have me, my brother, and my sister to learn French. So that's sort of um, how, you know, that all came to be. Let's talk about your personal records uh, as far as your fastest marathons. What, which was the fastest? And, and I made, maybe it was the Abidjan one the slowest? So my fastest race was actually the first race of this challenge, which was last uh, January in Muscat, Oman. And I ran um, a marathon at three hours, 42 minutes. Um, and then my slowest marathon time was actually, because a few of these marathons are what's called trail or mountain marathons. So you literally run up a mountain or a few mountains. Um, So I did a race in Colombia in December and that took me eight and a half hours just because it was one of these really intense mountain marathons. Was it also really hot or was it relatively cool in the mountains? Um, I think most people would say it was very hot. Like it was definitely in the 80s. But because I've run a few races in the 90s or even close to 100 degree Fahrenheit, it was like bearable for me, I should say. Right. I mean, you grew up in Atlanta. For yeah, sake, that's so true. I mean, that's Atlanta, true. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's like growing up in Cote d'Ivoire, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, um, your best time was about three hours, 40 minutes yes, in Oman? Exactly. Now, by the way, one thing that I should have made clear right from the beginning, but you part of your objective is not just to run 30 marathons because there's i think one guy i forgot his name he's from san francisco i should know him um and he's uh done he did 50 marathons in 50 days in america uh in different state i think in every have you heard about this guy i haven't i mean there's so many amazing people doing such cool things these days but i mean yeah but what but what distinguishes yours is is that you're picking places in different continents your 30 marathons are not all happening in america you just happen to be in atlanta right now as we're talking because this weekend you're going to run but tell me about your selection process because you had to pick 30 marathons yes and you want to pick them all over the world yes how did you decide to pick yeah so when i was first planning this project i should also say that when I started this project, I'd already run 10 marathons. And so this challenge is really the final 20. So I think I got overly excited. And in many ways, Run to Reach um, felt like this sort of once in a lifetime personal sabbatical I felt so lucky to embark on. So at first, I chose a lot of countries that I just personally really wanted to travel to, like Argentina and Cuba and the Seychelles even. But um, And then six months into the challenge, around last June, I realized just how much more interesting the whole project would be, mostly from a development perspective, if I chose to adventure to more far-reaching places that are seldom traveled to, like Afghanistan or Cote d'Ivoire, or even last week I was in Somaliland, which is technically part of Somalia. So, um, so that's really been the focus, is to try to go to 
more peculiar places, I should say. I want to take a step back and go back to that Cote d'Ivoire marathon. I never did get the reason what they, why they were saying women couldn't run. I mean, I think it was just pure sexism. And they kept, you know, they even at one point said that, oh, yes, we allowed women to run last year and most of them couldn't finish. And, okay. you know, I challenged and that. By, did, and yeah. you said you did, it was last second that you found out there was a four-hour cutoff. Correct. They, I found this out during the marathon. <laughs> um, You're they, joking. Yeah, I was, you know, at the halfway point <laughs> and they... I mean, yeah, it was really all over the place. And I mean, I was at, yeah, I was at the, you know, 13 mile point and they told me, they're like, yeah, you're not going to be able to finish the race in time. We're going to have to clear the road. And again, I had to argue with them, like, we will finish, like, no matter what, I don't care. Like I have the route on my phone, um, but just like, don't like you need to allow us to to at least finish so and especially with this project like if I'm not allowed to finish a marathon it's a big deal for me because I have to figure out another race to do and you know especially going to Cote d'Ivoire because yes the marathon component is a huge part of the project but it's also you know working with all the NGOs in each of these countries and so it's a big deal when I'm not able to to actually run the race what percentage of the people were not able to finish in four hours? I mean, in other words, did, did, think did you see a ton percentage. of other people's trust? Okay. Yeah, I think I, a lot like, of people. It seems like that should be like a key thing to like say up front. <laughs> that I, obviously, you know, I this, know. This is a t- I've been to all African countries and this doesn't surprise me because <laughs> organization is often not a strength in Africa. Yes. And just... It, it's it just doesn't surprise me how this, yeah. this whole whole thing went down but it's anyway it's it's but let's talk about another african uh marathon which was somaliland yes there you had to run and you had to be covered i imagine because yes. it's a fairly serious somewhat serious but fairly serious muslim country in other words at least superficially so they want to cover up the women yes um you're not going to run around in shorts and no tank top no so um and and somali a Somaliland can be hot. I guess, were you there running in the winter? I was there just several days ago. It was in the high 80s um, during the marathon. So it was hot and the sun was strong, I should say. Right. Yeah. And so, but then, of course, you felt the heat much more because you're covered from yes, head to toe. Correct. Right. And you're also wearing a hijab, something yes. to cover your head, your yep. hair. Yep. So you're really feeling the heat much yes. more so than, let's say, you might have felt it even in Abidjan, for that matter, because it was probably humid in Abidjan. Yes. No, it made it really tough. Um, I think towards the end of it, I, I honestly felt like I was going to pass out. But, um, but you know, I felt it's... I think you have to make the distinction between what is, you know, culturally appropriate and you know covering my head there it was more just respecting the religion you know it really is predominantly um, Muslim in Somaliland and I had no problem at all doing that and I think I would have just attracted so much more unwanted attention if I hadn't done that one of the things you say in your website yes uh, go ahead give your website name Run to oh yes, rentreach.com. One of the things you say there is that running is a right, that we should have it as a right. And 
Now, in some ways, that's obvious. Anybody can run. Any Homo sapien can run. Um, but as you discovered in Cote d'Ivoire, <laughs> you may not be able to. Yeah. You may not have a right to run in a marathon. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, my question is, why do you? What did you feel when all of a sudden they said, "Okay, but you don't have a right to wear what you want to wear"? Uh, in the case of Somaliland, I did mean, you if... feel? Did again, you feel frustrated? No, I because again, I think, you know, when you have to compare it to running as a right, you know, again, it's respecting their religion. And especially in Somaliland, there's, I mean, you literally, I think in some countries, for example, in Egypt, you would see some Muslim woman not wearing a job and that's her own personal choice. But in there, it's really, you know, expected and that's more coming from religion. When women are not allowed to run in these cultures or in these, you know, countries, that's more of a cultural restriction. And so I really see it as a distinction between religious and cultural restriction. And that's why I choose to respect, you know, sort of what they would see as a religious restriction. Um, in Somaliland, it's still not at all accepted for um, or acceptable for women to run freely. But I think this is changing and, you know, but I think certain parts of the culture like covering up, that will never change because that, again, goes back to more of a, like a religious restriction that I just choose to respect because I think that's sort of a non-negotiable aspect of being there. Right, right. Although I wouldn't say it will never change. It's possible. It will change. Yeah, it's possible. But I mean, you know, I think even I, I'm very, I love actually speaking to the topic of women covering up in um, Muslim countries with the women there. And, I, you know, I was talking with a few women in, in Hargeisa and Somaliland, and they were like, you know, if we chose not to cover up, like, we would, everyone would stare at us, and we prefer to actually remain anonymous when we're in the streets or in the market. And so I think everyone also has their own reason. It's not purely because they're forced to as well. Right. Now, have marathons gotten easier as you've gone along or has it gotten harder? Um, <laughs> I think my tolerance to run 26 miles is, I mean, it's, it's quite high and I, I don't really ever get nervous before a race any longer. I know that no matter what, you know, hopefully if I don't trip along the way um, that I can finish. But I wouldn't say I've gotten any faster or I think actually I've, I think my marathon time has gotten slower as I've been running more marathons just because I'm so scared of getting injured during this process because I'm, I'm literally running sometimes marathons, you know, every week or every other week. So I just need to make sure that I, my body stays in one piece. Um, but I think, yeah, in terms of, I, I really just don't get too nervous sort of the day before. It's kind of like, you know, it feels like any other day now, just, just running for four or five hours. So you did a 10 marathons before you embarked on this project. How Correct. old were you when you did your first marathon? I was 23. So it was in 2013 when I did my first marathon. Um, I was living in Japan and I was actually... My father had just passed away, so it was sort of this coping mechanism, you know, signing up for this race and really like this really healthy outlet for me trying to process everything that had happened. And from that 
point after I crossed the finish line, I mean, I just, I totally became addicted to running, not even from like a competitive standpoint. I just loved how, you know, therapeutic it had become for me. And it really became, um, sort of this, my form of meditation in a lot of ways. Got it. And why did you decide to raise money for this whole thing, as opposed to just doing this on your own or, I mean, you could still do publicity and put, you know, have your Instagram and do things like that. But, but it's a big fucking deal to all of a sudden, like now I've got to actually raise money and it's, it's a whole, it puts a whole level of complexity. And a lot of people, I think, underestimate that they, they, they think, Oh, I'll just create a GoFundMe page and that's it. And you're like, no, dude, it like becomes a lot harder. So go tell us about your thought process there and, and what did you learn along the way? I mean, I think, you know, when I ran the first 10 marathons, you know, obviously my love for running in all these different countries has contributed so much to my journey of personal development and self-discovery. And I think there was always this tingling feeling I felt in my gut, you know, how could I in return give back to these countries, you know, equal to their effect on me or like to the extent that they've given back to me. And um, if I had just done this without, you know, the marathon part of it is sort of the really fun part. And to me, that feels like 5% of the project, actually. What's given so much meaning to what I've been doing is, you know, personally selecting all of the NGOs I'm working with, connecting with them, going to the countries, meeting with these people, trying to find like the best and most effective way that I can showcase their work. And I think that is what has been the most transformative aspect of this whole project is just meeting all of these really inspiring people who are doing such incredible things in each of these countries. Um, In terms of fundraising, it is so hard because I'm also, you know, I'm working with 20 different organizations during this whole process. So, and they're all doing very different things, even though the, the general theme amongst all is that they're, you know, empowering women, they're all women focused, but, um, it's definitely made it, I think, harder because the the messaging is always very different. And when I am fundraising, I'm sort of fundraising for all of them instead of just, you know, individually. So it's made it very complicated, but I think also in the same way, incredibly interesting because, you know, I, I learned so much about each of the countries just even from working with each of the NGOs. Right. And your process of fundraising, you can have people either go to your website and donate to the charity there, or, uh, but you also have a way that people, if they want to support you personally and not just the charity, then Um, they can also do that through your GoFundMe page. Correct. And, you know, at this point too, I'm, you know, I'm close to finishing up this whole mission. And I, you know, originally when I, started this project, my goal is to raise a hundred thousand, which is a big goal. And I think no matter what I wanted to aim high. And at this point I've raised close to 28,000. And so I still, I mean, thank you so much. It still feels like a long ways away from a hundred thousand. I know why, I know, I know why it's so hard to raise that much money because I did a Kickstarter campaign and I raised 
$23,000. And that was so fucking hard to do 23000 And here you are doing 28000 the, the funny thing is, of course, it's all about setting expectations. I set a goal of, I think, 20000 and I raised twenty three. And so I felt like success, but you raised more than me. But because you set a goal of 100000 you might feel like, God, I felt short. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is ridiculous because you... 28,000 is a ton of money. Oh, thank you um, so and, much. And it's, it's so, but I imagine also, Liz, that sometimes it's hard to keep track of exactly who donated because not everybody's going to go through your website and kind of give you credit for that yeah. donation, potentially. Potentially, yeah. And I think, again, what's so hard is that, um, you know, if you, I do have a support page on my website, but because I am sort of raising money for all of these charities and sort of the idea is to disperse the final amount equally amongst all of them, you know, and some, you know, some donors have been like, you know, I've been really inspired by this one organization you've worked with. I want my money to go there. And so I've made note of all of this. Um, but I think, yeah, what's, what's been really hard is that I am raising for so many different organizations. Um, Oh, I yeah. see. So I didn't understand that part of it is that, in other words, you have to, you take all the money in a pot and then you're going to distribute it equally among 20 different charities. Yeah, this is the general idea. I mean, to be honest, too, I, I mean, it, it's, you know, to be expected, I think I've had very, very close partnerships with several of the NGOs. And that also comes down to, you know, me being in the country longer, them being able to sort of um, support me in ways that it's just made um, our collaboration easier. And so, you know, I, I feel like I probably, because I feel so connected to these organizations, I might give, try to give them, you know, probably more of the money. But um, I haven't totally decided the the process at the end. But the idea is yes, that no matter what, I am giving you know a big chunk of of the final amount to each of them. Right. Okay. And then how? So you you have why did you decide twenty organizations as opposed to thirty organizations? You probably got that question. <sighs> yeah. It's only it's because um, I started run to reach when I had already run 10 marathons. So this mission, the project is the final 20 marathons. And so that's why I chose 20 organizations. I mean, I hope to go back to the original 10 and, and obviously keep, you know, I, I'm, I love doing this, this kind of work. And I don't think that my reach will end, you know, just with these 20 countries. Um, but it just so happens that it's just, this project is really the focus on the final 20 countries right right now what surprised you along the way Liz in this whole process I think when I initially started planning this project I mean it was a dream like I was giving myself this year to plan this you know expedition around the world almost and um, I didn't realize how difficult it would be to just even plan all the trips, coordinate with all the NGOs. Just the administrative side of the project has been really exhausting. And and yeah, and then of course the fundraising aspect is just it's I you know, I I'm a kind of a timid person. And so at a certain point, like sometimes it feels a little awkward to keep asking people for money, especially you know, I can only ask so, so much it feels. And I've been asking now for over a year. So, um, 
I think just that whole aspect of the project, I didn't foresee it being as challenging as as it is. And, you know, of course, also trying to remain financially afloat during this whole mission too. I, I also naively assumed that, hey, it was going to be very easy to get a sponsor or a big sponsor to sort of help me with all of the travel costs. But that has been really hard and also very time consuming because I'm constantly sending cold emails. Um, but, but I still wouldn't trade the experience for anything and again it's just been a huge learning process and I honestly hope that someone I come across someone in the future who's not doing something totally similar to me but I hope to be able to help them along the way and give them sort of guidance that I don't think I actually had with this project. Speaking about that guidance what would you have done differently if you had to do it all over again? So if somebody came up to you and listening to this podcast right now and says, okay, Liz, I would like to do something similar to you, but what would you tell them? You would say, don't do it, you I fucking know. idiot. I know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, there were points last year where I was like, what did I get myself Sign into? Up for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 you know, I just read your thing and I was like, dude, that is like fucking hard. This is really difficult. You know, 30 marathons is a piece of cake compared to the all the other shit that you got to do exactly and i think that's what people you know if you look at my instagram it's sort of like look at this girl traveling everywhere and she's running everywhere it's like that's maybe like 0.001 percent of what actually (laughs) goes on honestly and um you know i think i would are you saying that instagram is not like reality oh i don't want (laughs) to i don't want to Revealed Let's too not much. tell the whole world that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. Oh, sigh. Um, but I would, you know, I I've, think... I've always yeah. gone to... I've, if ever I want to get a grasp of reality, I go to Instagram. Oh, my That's God. I, I know. Sometimes I just need to... Like, honestly, I tell myself, like, if I didn't have this project, I would just need to click off because it just... It is a crazy world on there. Um, but... But yeah, I think if anyone did come along and they were deciding to take on a crazy thing like this, you know, involving sports or something, you know, just a personal project, I I think what's also been difficult with Run to Reach is I had two months to plan everything. And in retrospect, I wish I had two years to plan everything because um, I think there's been a lot of kinks along the way and just even in terms of sort of um, securing funding, it would have made the whole process a lot easier. Um, but I would tell the person, go for it, because even if you fail, no matter what, like, isn't our end goal in life to have, you know, to live a life full of stories and um you know, I think what's also been hard with this project is telling certain people what I'm doing and feeling like they're not taking me seriously or, you know, feeling like I'm going against the grain and I'm doing something that most people just wouldn't, yeah, like would never consider doing. And, but I think that's what makes us interesting people and you have to take risks. And, you know, I think they, the amount of amazing people I've met on this journey, I mean, that's reward enough for the whole experience. And I feel so grateful for that. But it seems also that you might advise a person who wants to not duplicate what you did, but do something similar to say, okay, bite off less than you think you can chew. In other words, just like tone down your your expectations because it's going to be a lot more work than you can imagine. I think Absolutely. that's what you would say. Yes, 
completely, completely. And so if somebody said to you, Hey Liz, I want to do 50 marathons in 50 countries. You would say, well, okay, fine, go for it. But maybe don't try to raise money for 40 charities at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I, I think, no, or just do one charity or something or just do one charity, one charity. Yeah. But I mean, I think at the same time, I think I would, tell that person to push themselves, you know, not necessarily aim low because still doing 50 marathons in 50 countries is amazing. But like, but I think again, you know, it's been really hard working with all these charities or just sort of the logistics of coordinating with all them, but it's made the experience so rich. And so, um, I think you, anyone would be even surprised how much they could push themselves, um, to, you know, to really exceed, you know, certain expectations. And, um, I would just say, go for it. Even if you fail, like it's a better, better story afterwards, you know? Speaking about stories, tell me about the story about Oman. Why did you run that one so fast? I honestly think, well, it was a pretty flat race and I think it was because it was the first marathon of this mission. And I also had been training quite a bit beforehand, like in the lead up of this, you know, these 20 marathons. And so I think I was in really good shape and I was just fired up. And um, yeah, I don't know. I was not, I mean, I also don't wear a watch to time me. So I don't know what was in my system. I just, I felt really good that day and just completely gave it my all but I think since then um I yeah I'm more careful about not pushing my body too much because again I just don't want to get injured so my my times now are considerably slower now why is it that you don't wear a watch I don't know of any marathoner I mean maybe a lot of the people do but it seems like every marathoner wears a watch yeah I again it goes back to the fact that marathon or running is meditative for me and I think you know I tried wearing a watch for a period of time and it just stressed me out and I think running is the hour a few hours of the day where I want to just to sign off and be present with my thoughts and be present with how my body's feeling and personally just wearing a watch for me um, just takes that sort of level of of you know, balance and stillness in my head away. So I know I feel like I'm less of a runner because of that, because I'm just not as competitive. But I also, because I feel so in tune with my body, I honestly can tell you what pace I'm going at any point. And I can tell you how fast I'm going to run any marathon. Um, so, so yeah, that's sort of the reason why I don't wear a watch. Okay, interesting. And what about your next three so you're doing a uh we're right now recording this at the very last day of february and you're going to be running in like tomorrow is it you're going to run an atlanta marathon um on sunday so in yeah day sunday. after tomorrow okay. so in a couple of days yeah. yeah and then what are the next that will be your 27th marathon and so then you what are the the 28 29 and 30th marathons yes so the week after next, I'm doing a marathon. I hope the 30th one is in, uh, in, is the 30th one in Antarctica? The 30th one is actually on 
Everest mountain. So, <laughs> so like not. And it's all downhill. <laughs> oh, I mean, let's hope. I've been told it's kind of up and down, but um, yes, that the thirtieth marathon will hike up to base camp, and then the marathon starts at base camp. Um, so that one is definitely going to be an epic race, and I also feel like the likelihood of me getting injured is the highest um, for that marathon. So yeah, going out with a bang with that one. But um, but I'm actually heading next after this after Atlanta to Yemen. Um, there's a marathon on an island that's actually off of mainland Yemen. So the, there's no real conflict on this island. It's called Socotra, and uh, so I'll do a marathon there. And then my 29th marathon will be in Greece because I'm actually I'm giving um, a TED talk in April. So um, in Paris, and so uh, yeah, I wanted my my marathon in April to be a bit more local and not kind of all over the place. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of the itinerary for now. Speaking of TED Talks, um, there was a TED Talk that you heard that kind of inspired you. It's all yes. about giving back, that kind of thing. Can you tell people about that? Yes, of course. So um, when I was originally choosing all of my partner NGOs, I listened to this TED Talk by uh, Peter Singer. And he is sort of... There's a movement called Effective Altruism, where it's sort of he's started this foundation that does an incredible job at doing the due diligence of sort of weeding through the thousands of nonprofits that currently exist and finding great organizations that you can actually sort of calculate um, your donation and quantify your donation amount to see exactly what your money would be going towards. And so I loved that approach. And um, it really sort of gave me some guidance during the selection process of all of my partner NGOs. Wow. And people want to listen to a TED Talk. What's the name of it? Um, the name of the TED Talk, I believe it's just, if you search Effective Altruism Peter Singer, it will definitely come up. Because okay. it was sort of him explaining the whole movement and concept behind Effective Altruism. Wait, sorry, what's the date of the Everest Marathon? Yeah, so it's in mid... So I believe we start the trek to base camp mid-May, and the marathon itself is um, May 29th. Oh my God, it's going to be a complete zoo there, because that's the prime time season for Everest is climbing. It? My goodness, absolutely. Oh, that's when man. everybody is summiting. Oh man. So it's just going to be... A utter zoo uh, oh, in base camp there. So just, oh, I mean, that's that's like peak tourist season. Oh god! So it's like you're right there in the center of it. So okay, that's going to well, be uh, you know, a <laughs> that's good to field. know. That's good to know. Yes, yeah, but I mean, obviously, you're going to be running, but you're going to see just uh, it's going to be like Manhattan there. I think. <laughs> That's, I mean, that, I'm sure it'd be interesting to sort of have this mini city on, on base camp. But, right. Yeah, that's, you'll see how it is. But anyway, I, I haven't been there during that period, but I imagine that that's, that's how it's going to be. But anyway, as long as they have good porta potties, you'll be fine. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so what after, so then you'll, ter, you'll celebrate in June. What's the, your birthday in June? June 8th. Okay. And so then you'll celebrate that where? Atlanta? Um, so or Paris? I probably will fly back to Paris. I'll 
maybe be in Paris for my actual birthday. And then my husband, actually, he is from Lebanon. And um, I love going to Lebanon. It's one of my favorite places in the entire world. So we're just gathering a bunch of friends and going to Lebanon, to Beirut, uh, to sort of properly celebrate the birthday. Awesome. That will be fantastic and well-deserved. And then you then you won't run for at least a year? <laughs> at least a marathon, that is. I'm signed up actually for a 100-kilometer race in October. <laughs> Um, so I, I like, I just, I, I need a big goal. I think my life would feel very empty without something to really, um, aim for and push myself to accomplish in the future. So, so that's my next big thing. And then we'll see afterwards what, what happens. What do you do when you're not running? In other words, do you have any other kind of freelance job or something like that? Obviously, have you don't have a full time job because it would it'd be hard to do this. I think, or maybe maybe not. Maybe what what is your other side of Liz? Want? Yeah, my other side of Liz. Um, so at first, when I started the project, I was still doing some freelance um, work for my previous company. I was doing PR before, and uh, it just got to be so challenging with all the travel and meeting certain deadlines. So I actually just put that aside and kind of really sat down and figured out how I could try to financially, um, you know, work this whole project without having this, this side job. So yeah, I mean, as of now, it's it's only been doing run to reach, and I also decided because when I was when I did have this other freelance gig, I was sort of doing like half ass work for both. Like I couldn't dedicate myself to to one thing, and so um, I think when I when this project ends, I'm actually really excited to to go back to work, and I definitely want to go into a different um, professional field. I I think and. But I'm, I am looking forward to a stable income once this all wraps up. But I think for now, it was sort of like I wanted, if I wanted this project to take off, I really needed to give it my all. Yeah, again, you know, a common theme that we've been talking about, but it's something that's really to not underestimate. I think a lot of people, when they see people such as yourself that are doing amazing things and running out there and, and raising money, I just think so many people completely underestimate just how much work it is. And they're, they're probably listening to this like, what do you mean? You're doing this full time? Like, yeah, she's doing it. Fuck yeah, doing it full time because trying to do it otherwise and just trying to squeeze it between your work life, forget it. It's crazy how time consuming these things are. It's crazy enough not if even if you're not trying to do charity work, but throw in charity. Now, uh, let me ask you, since you did work in PR, what have you learned to being on the other side of the fence? Because you're always working with clients who need publicity. Now, all of a sudden, you've become the client who needs publicity. What What did you learn from that process? I mean, it's really tough. I mean, I, I wish <laughs> I... It's so... It's been so hard to get coverage for my project. Just, again, it goes back... And I'm not even saying my... my run to reach is, you know, the most brilliant thing that's ever come, you know, come before anyone's attention. But, um, it's, you know, 
I think there are a lot of people in this world doing really crazy, amazing things. And so I'm competing against them. And so I would say that, you know, I probably send maybe a thousand emails, cold emails to journalists and maybe like one or two respond. So it's been really hard, um, the PR aspect of it all. But, you know, that's why I, you know, I've started to really reach out to a lot of podcast hosts and they're much more receptive, um, which has been great. And, um, but I think, you know, I going into this project and having quite a lot of PR experience, I felt confident that I could place my story in a lot of publications, and it's just been a lot right. more difficult than I thought. Again, what kind of lessons did you learn from that? Like, if you're going to have to do it all over again, is there... I mean, obviously, the more ambitious, the more crazy your trek, it's obviously going to be more... But you can't... Anyway, it, that's that's one thing that helps... But obviously, we all have limits to what we can physically do or, or mentally do. So how, what, what would you do differently in the future if all of a sudden you're like, okay, I got another project. You're, what would your next project be? If, you're, if you want to do publicity and get, make, it, make your job of doing PR easier, what advice would you give somebody? I honestly think it comes down to luck and timing. Like I know, and I'm not saying that again, what I'm doing deserved more coverage, but a lot of times I would get responses from journalists and they're just not looking for this type of story or, you know, they, it's, it really just comes down to luck, I think. And, you know, yes, like if I was running a marathon in every country in the world, probably I would get more responses, but you know I don't want to underestimate what I'm doing and I don't know what I would do differently because I honestly just think that it's such a, like journalists are inundated with, with emails, pitch emails every day. And sometimes I just don't even think it's because you're not newsworthy enough. And I also think at the end of the day too, there's so much going on constantly with Trump and everything in the news cycle. And I've actually been confirmed a few times to have, for example, an NBC appearance and an appearance at a, on a local channel in Paris. And all of a sudden something else comes up that's more newsworthy or something that Trump says and like I'm sort of put to the sidelines. So it just, it really comes down to luck. And um, I don't personally know if I could do anything crazier than, than this. And, you know, physically, again, it's it's been a, a pretty... Um, a pretty big goal, but I think I was hoping that sort of the working with all these charities would actually be what caught people's attention because I think this is sort of a unique um, part of this project. I don't think many people are fundraising for as many organizations as I am, but um, but you know I don't know. I I really strongly believe it. It just comes down to timing and luck and also having the right connections because I think journalists of course read your emails when they're sent you know over by a connection of theirs so yeah but uh yeah it's yeah it's it's, it's a lot of work I, it's I, a lot of work I, I totally <laughs> feel for I feel for you so much Liz I really know exactly what you've been through because I've been on I've been on your side of the fence and it's it's just Everybody, it looks easy from the far away, but once you're in the middle of it, you're like, wow, this is tough. This is really hard. Um, so I commend you for sticking with it and pushing through um, as, as, 
and, and despite all the the challenges along the way. Speaking about challenges, it's funny because the two of my podcasts, uh, people, two people I've talked to recently, have both gone to Yemen, and so here we got your third going to Yemen. So I like, what the hell is Yemen becoming like the next hot? <laughs> destination <laughs> i know um, that's so, crazy that it shows it's, it's that's more a testament to like the crazy people i like to talk to yes so i guess yes <laughs> yes um, were they so going for tourism reasons sorry i cut you off yeah yeah no they were going for tourism reasons uh both of them both of them in both cases they were in oman and then they basically did a quick in and out uh, one of them actually didn't actually one of them wasn't even successful i think um at getting in there but the other one was successful um, is uh, Rambling Randy is one of my podcasts. He talks about it, but he just went in for like uh, for a day and came back out. So w w getting your visa for Yemen, did you just go to the Yemenese embassy in Washington, D.C. and write the application online or how did you do it? Yes, yeah, so um, I'm actually going, this marathon is, uh, it's a company that organizes the whole week. And so they actually helped with the visa process. I just sent in my documents and they, um, it, it is a special visa for Socotra. It's much easier to get, um, rather than visiting mainland Yemen. So, um, so yeah, it was, I don't think as difficult as I think, yeah, going to mainland. Now, why is, is Socotra an autonomous region? Do you know, or is it just happens to be? Okay. Yeah, it just happens to be, um, I, you know, I don't actually know the, the history behind the, I, I need to like, this is something I need to really read up on, but it, um, I think there is a bit of controversy going on now because I think certain countries are trying to annex it from Yemen. And, uh, so I think there is some talk about it being, you know, a fully autonomous region. But I know that the people on Socotra consider themselves um, part of Yemen. And, um, you know, there are a lot of traditions that are, are on the island that are Yemeni traditions. So, so yeah, so I, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm going there in a week and a half. And I, I also kind of really like to be surprised when I go to these countries. Like I love reading up on them beforehand, but it's always really fascinating to go and sort of be like headfirst in learning about it while there. So, um, so yeah, I can report back more soon. Okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, so, so Kotra, yeah, it's, it, I've, I've heard of it, but it's right off like the Somali coast. You could have gone from Somalia land or straight over there. It was by the way, was your was your marathon? You're like right next to there. I know. Just go one after the other. I could have just hopped over. Yeah, I did a very. You could have just route. like stuck out your thumb, and a Somali pirate would have picked you up and just taken you. There I know. Free. Just like taxi service. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, but it's actually it's there's only one flight per week that goes to Socotra, and it, it's from Cairo actually. Uh, so it's, it's not the easiest place to get to, honestly. Where else did you go in Africa? Did, was it Somalia land? And did you do anything in, uh, you did Egypt? Egypt. Um, I also did a marathon in Sierra Leone, uh, which was amazing. And, um, tell us about that experience in Sierra Leone. Was that in Freetown? So it was actually Michele which is a town that's three hour drive from Freetown. And it was organized actually by the NGOs working with there. They do the marathon every year. And it was, I, my husband actually came with me to that marathon. So it was beautiful to experience 
the sort of running event with him. And uh, so he's, my husband actually is not a runner at all. And so he was supposed to do the five kilometer race there. And maybe a few days before the race, I was like, Mark, just do the 10 kilometers, like push yourself or here in Sierra Leone. Like, and uh, so we switched to the 10 kilometers. And then the day before the actual race, I convinced him to switch the full marathon and do it with me. So, um, so I think that marathon will always hold a very special place in my heart just because is he is your husband still alive or did he die of a heart attack there? <laughs> he he is still alive, I'm happy to report. But um he actually <laughs> unfortunately a few months later he tore his meniscus and we don't and his knee and so we you're, don't know. You're you're a tough wife. Listen to you like I can just imagine like the <laughs> escalation here. Like I know. I'm honey, I'm gonna do a five K. No, do a ten K. No, yeah. no, 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 now do a fucking marathon. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> No, I, I felt a little bit bad. But I mean, he had yeah, So a I can see, like, can you cook? Hey, honey, can you cook me an egg? Oh, how, actually, make me an omelet. Uh, actually, can you make me a full breakfast in bed I and know. bring me champagne, too? Exactly, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, can see you, Liz. I understand. Yeah, I mean, you have to be pushed in life. I mean, like, and he pushes me in different ways, too. But, uh, and, yeah. I mean, to be honest, so, we... So you're, yeah. you're originally like, hey, honey, I'm going to raise charity for two... I'm going to raise for two organizations and I'm going to do five marathons. And then he said to you, no, you should do 50. I know. I know. 30 isn't enough. I know. Uh, but um, yeah, we, we mostly, I mean, we ran probably 10, six to 10 miles and walked the rest. Cause I just, I, it was also 90 degree weather, 98% humidity yeah, there. It's hot and humid. And it was Leon really, yeah, it was yeah. really hot, but I mean, a, beautiful country and we actually spent a few days afterwards because there's a beautiful um, coastline as well in Sierra Leone so it was just yeah it was an amazing experience being there and um, I really hope to go back actually so did you do it in less than six hours yeah I think we did the full marathon in, in seven hours <laughs> And we actually, I should also preface, I should say too that, you know, we, when we are, because it was a marathon that you have fun and we were with a big group of people who were actually had sort of, you know, not trained properly. And so it, we were just a big group chatting and telling life stories during this race. And uh, so we actually, we all finished last place, which is, and like, I kind of love, I love that story because actually there's a marathon where I came in first place. So now I can say, you know, I've come in last and first in this mission, which is kind which of funny. Which one was the one you ran in first? Tell us about that one. Oh my gosh. That was an interesting race. Uh, so actually it was in Chile. It was in Patagonia, which was beautiful. Uh, so my mom actually came with me to this marathon and, we just misheard the start of the, or when we were supposed to go to the starting point of the marathon. And it was actually a 45 minute drive away. And so I heard 1030, but in fact, we actually, the marathon started at 930. And so I was like speeding to the starting line of the race. And they actually, the farthest they could drop me off is at the six kilometer, kilometers point. So I sprinted from the six kilometers point to the starting line. People had already started the marathon. And then I essentially ran an extra 6K and I just, I started way later than everyone else. But because I, again, was so scared that they were going to disqualify me, I was 
sprinting in that race. And I like, you know, obviously was very behind most everyone else, but then caught up with everyone and just kept sprinting and, and came in first in my age group for that marathon, having ran an extra six kilometers. So um, it was it was a pretty epic race. Yeah, that's killer. Wow, it's amazing. So again, for people who want to learn more about you, you're on Instagram at runtoreach.com. Oh, well, not .com, but runtoreach.com is your website, and then Instagram.runtoreach. Uh, also, I imagine you have Run to Reach on Facebook as well? Yes, correct. Yeah, and then you'll have all the links there to how people can donate to the charities, the 20 charities that you're supporting, and as well as uh, if they want to donate directly to you uh, through GoFundMe. It's all up on there, on my website and my Instagram. And thank you so much to everyone who... It's choosing to donate. I mean, it means the world to me. And I, I'm really hoping to push in these last couple months um, before it all wraps up. But um, but yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Cool. Well, go run your heart out in Everest and break into a leg. And who cares at that point? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I guess you got you to break your leg in the last like kilometer because you don't want to break it at the beginning. That's because true. Because you won't finish that marathon. And you'll, and you'll be like, ah, and then I won't make it all until I'm 30. So, okay, well, take care of yourself in, in Everest and enjoy the crowds there. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it four review it somewhere and five sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com our theme music was composed by eric stratman this is francis tapon encouraging you to wander and learn